Hello, I'm James Fitzsimons and welcome to The Career Scoop, a podcast all about career progression, advice and experiences aimed at assisting those who are in career transition. Today, my guest is Veronica van der Hoven, Managing Director, People Strategy at MUFG Investor Services. Veronica, you're very welcome this afternoon. Thank you, James. Absolutely lovely to be asked to join you today. Super. My first question, if I may, is just you might just give the listeners an overview of your career to date, mention the highs and lows, what you've learned, what you're most proud of. Sure. Okay. Um, so currently, I am Managing Director of People Strategy for MUFG Investor Services um, based in Dublin. And my responsibilities are culture, engagement, internal communications, and diversity inclusion, learning and development, um, and really all things people related. Um, and I started out my career um, when I finished my leaving cert. I was dying to get going. I think I was always a little bit restless when I was at school. I was one of those people in school, if I was interested in the topic, I was fully engaged, but if I found it boring, I was looking out the window, dreaming of being out there and doing my own thing. So as soon as I finished my leaving, I went off to London and my mom naturally was, was really um, keen for me to get my qualification and come back and study. But I told her that I would go and travel around Europe for a year and then I'd be back. So I went to London um, and then, of course, I got a job I liked and the feel of money. So the Europe traveling never happened and neither did me returning to do my qualification. Um, and my father, James, was a very talented artist and graphic designer. So I had always wondered if I had any of that in me. So I got an opportunity in my first job to work for a publication called Best Magazine. I actually think it's still going today, a weekly woman's magazine in London. Um, so I took that working in the graphic design department there for the art director. Um, and of course, I didn't. I learned very quickly I didn't have any artistic creativity um, but it was it was a fun job and I learned a lot as you do in your first in your first role and um, I I suppose what I learned from that role is well first of all I was a little bit naughty probably shouldn't say it in this podcast but I told Fib to get myself a job so I said that I could type and not only could I type that I could audio type so on my second day in the job, Tony came out to me and he said, you know, he handed me whatever he handed me. And it became very apparent very quickly that I couldn't type at all. I was literally bashing, you know, the two fingers on the keyboard. And I thought, that's it. I'm gone. Lost my first job. I'm only here. And, you know, I always say, you always remember your great bosses. And he was definitely a great boss, my first boss and somebody who influenced me so much. Um, he gave me a chance and he said to me, you can't type, can you? And I said, no. And he said, why did you say you could? And I said, I wanted the job so much. So he sent me off to a typing course every Tuesday in Bond Street. So off I go, 12 o'clock every Tuesday to Bond Street for my typing, which I found 
exceedingly boring, I have to say. And after about two or three lessons, I stopped going. Um, and I would look around Bond Street in the shops. But what I did instead was, and I suppose this is kind of very typical of me and, you know, the type of person I am. So I bought myself a typewriter and I had the manual and I thought myself how to type. And I was so slow in the class, but thought myself how to type, got my exam and continued on in my job. And it was great fun because in Best Magazine, they would do food shots and the food department was allocated right beside uh, the art department. And when they were finished with the food, they would come out and leave it on a, a stool. And my part of my fun role was to shout up, food's up, when it came out, because all the other departments would be running to get it as well. Um, and we would all thunder out the door and get it. And I also got little fashion accessories and free things. So it was a great experience. Um, and then I made one of my first mistakes in my career. I decided that, okay, I've had enough of this after a year. And I wanted to go, and somebody had told me about selling life insurance. Right. And Tony, my first boss, said, Veronica, you're making a mistake. Please don't go. And I kind of think he had this little bit of a fatherly thing because I was fresh off the boat from Ireland um, and he wanted, he didn't want me to make a mistake. Anyway, of course, I did what I wanted and I went to work for them and I hated it. But what I, I was out of there within about three weeks. I couldn't stand it. And what I learned, it was one of those roles that, um, you know, you should try and sell life insurance to say five people, you know, and then those five people had to give you a list of five people. And I, it just wasn't me at all, that hard sell, that tough. So I was out of there and I really didn't like even the way they treated their employees either, that real tough environment. But then I was very lucky and I got another job in Camrys Aviation Publishers. So my second job in, a, in publishing. And at the age of 19, I got a company car, which was just fabulous. And of course, I'm the girl living over in London and everyone else is back in Dublin. Here's me with my company car. So I was so proud of myself. Um, sending you know my mom and my grandmother pictures of my company car and everything and that was a great job and when I was working for that company I was only there about a month and because I had a company car they asked me would I go on a business trip to Paris so of course you know I'm only 19 I wanted to impress the boss I immediately said yes and then I spent the next I'd say four weeks in utter panic about how what I'd done and how the heck I was going to drive on the opposite side of the road navigate my way to Paris and then get around the Arts Triumph. So the busiest roundabout in Europe. But anyway, I had myself in an awful state doing it, but it was a bit of a life lesson and I always refer back to it as a bit of a defining moment for me in my career because I remember we went, I went in the CCAT. When I arrived in La Havre, not only did I have to drive on the other side of the road, but it was snowing. So I was really panicked and I kept going. And of course, no sat nav then. And when I came up to the Arts Triumph then, I literally, because, you know, in Paris, you have the right of way coming on the roundabout. So it was very hectic. I think there's 12 exits and 10 lanes on the Arts Triumph. And it was literally, I just went first, closed my eyes, prayed out loud. I think I may have cried. And I got around the roundabout, parked that car in my Parisian hotel. I didn't get it back into it again for the week until it was time to go home. But I guess the thing is, I will always remember it because I really thought the day before I had to go on that trip, I thought I'm so scared. I actually wished in a way that I got sick or something happened to me, anything, than to face the fear of doing that. And I did it. And I proved something to myself that something completely unimaginable I could do. Anyway, so, so that was my experience in London. 
I came home then, I had no job. It was hard to get a job back then. And a friend of the families gave me a job stuffing envelopes in Bank of Ireland. And I stuck my hand up for and volunteered to become the team leader of the team, stuffing the envelopes at the time. And so I was called back repeatedly. And finally, he then referred me into a, um, a firm of accountants, Master Charlton, and I got a job. So that was my in to financial services. Um, so, I mean, that, that was nice and I learned lots there, but it was quite an old fashioned, you know, firm of accountants. And I moved from there then to Bice's Fund Services. And again, I had a fabulous boss, a female lady who gave me, you know, lots of autonomy in my role. And I remember there was a new client on board, Rothschild, and she asked, would anyone like to design a trade ticket? They were, it was the first time they were ever taking trades from shareholders over the phone. I stuck my hand up in my head going, what am I doing saying yes to this? So I designed the trade ticket. And again, it was one of those things, do something out of your comfort zone. Very quickly after that, I got a promotion. And that was really it, James. My career then in financial services kind of took off. Um, I worked there for a good few years. Then years later, I met a Dutchman and he convinced me to move to Holland. So I went over to Holland. I had no Dutch, so I had to take a job in Shell Oil, which was a very administrative job. So for me, that was a big leap backwards. And um, I was very bored. The days were very long. And I guess, you know, when we were talking the other day and you were saying what you learned from each experience is, I learned a lot about myself in that role that I just couldn't do. For me, a role like that, after having the exciting career, constantly challenging myself out of my comfort zone, and I was finding that I was becoming a little bit lethargic in that role, everything. And, and I do remember a defining moment in that role was one day and um, one of the projects, I, I worked for Shell Oil in exploration in that department. Very interesting projects. But I remember one day him coming up to me in the morning, one of the engineers and saying, you, you didn't put my faxes on my desk yet. And I, and I, it takes me a lot actually for me to get annoyed, but I kind of had it at that stage. And I said to him, well, can't you get your own faxes? Why not? And he was quite disgusted. And I suppose that was part of my role to go and distribute people's faxes every day. But I just thought, what am I doing? So anyway, thankfully, 15 months later, we decided to move back to Ireland and I got back into doing what I liked in fund admin and I headed up investor operations, so all the investor operations side. And again, then it just shows you like the importance of people you work with. Somebody I worked with recognized in me that I had a real strong passion for people. I was always sticking my hand up, you like this, James, for recruitment. So we had a massive recruitment drive. When I joined there, I think I was number 20 in the company or something like that. And we went very quickly into 100 people. And um, so he needed all hands on deck. We had no HR department. So over time, he kind of let me do more and more HR. And then eventually he gave me the role of HR and because he could see I wasn't really that happy in ops. Um, and that was it. That, that's how I transitioned into HR. So I was lucky he gave me that chance. Obviously, I had no qualification in HR. I had no third level qualification at all at this point. Um, but I knew so much from managing people. I'd done it for so long and leading investor ops teams. And so that kind of came naturally to me, the people side. And for the for the laws and uh, legal side of everything, I had IBEC, which were fabulous. We remember them and they were my best friend. And I found everything. So I self-taught and, and used them an awful lot. And of course, the internet uh, was around then as well. So, so that was it. And that was how I got into HR. And um, then I had my children. 
And I, yes, as a lot of women do when they have their children, I did work in the beginning. I actually came back to work way too quick after four months after having my son, Will, who's now nearly 15. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before, but I really struggled with the guilt of leaving him to go back to work. And then the guilt of not doing my job properly because I was missing him when I was working as well. So um, I'd say that was one of my lows. You were asked about highs and lows. Mm. Um, and I really wasn't quite sure what to do with myself. But anyway, then I had my my, my first daughter, Micah, and then um, I stayed at home with her. Um, and then, uh, then I had my second daughter, Kaya. And that was just after the global crisis, the financial crisis. And we got into a bit of financial difficulty in that we just found it hard to keep afloat. Um, and so we decided I needed to go back to work and Kai was only three months old. Um, or we would have to move back to Holland, which I didn't want to do with my children here. I'm very, very, I have lots of close relationships with my, my extended family and we do a lot together. And I just didn't want, I wanted them to grow up in that environment that I had. Um, so I did, I went with Seamus. Seamus referred me and I went for my first interview in, in the company I'm in now. But so she was five months old by the time I went for the interview. And I really just thought, I don't want this job. I don't care about this job. So I'm just going to go in there and say, you know, yes, I want a car space. I only want to work three days a week. Back then, so that was 10 years ago, it wasn't um, as prevalent, I suppose, for flexi time and part time. And I remember it was lashing raining. I pulled up in my golf. I stepped out of the car. My foot got soaking wet. I kind of squelched up to Graft to, to Leeson Street and I went in for my interview. Um, but my ambitious side started kicking in once we started talking and I was kind of thinking, okay, I might want this job. I want you to want me for this job. So, and then I found, you know, throughout the interview process and I always remembered that I started really enjoying it and liking the sound of the role. And anyway, before I got home, I was off the job. I took it and the rest is history. So that's where I am now, MEFG, yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a great story. So I'm really curious of just like you're in that interview, oh, I don't really want to be here, and I do understand that because yeah. you're conflicted. And suddenly part of you just, you're able to pause at warp speed yeah. and say, hold yeah. on here. Was, was, was there an instinct that this could be something? I'm just curious. Yeah. Do you know, I, I remember it very clearly. It was a feeling of a bit of excitement bubbling in me again you know and I guess you know when you're a parent of, of young children and as I said Kyle's a young baby all your focus is on your children and it's hard to even imagine when you're in that zone your career zone and being in that room that day it was like somebody was kind of relighting that fire just igniting that in me again and I could feel a trickle of excitement and, and as well, like I always wanted to do well. So there's no way I didn't want to get that job. So I wanted to get it and then have a choice. But I did. I love the sound of it. Um, yeah. And before I got home, I literally pulled into the to a car park to take the call and they offered me the job. And I started a month later and I'll be there 10 years now in March. Um, and that, that was a great role because there was no HR department there. So I got to set it all up myself. Um, so that was very exciting and I loved that. And then about eight months later, they offered me the global head um, of HR role. 
So we have um, about 10 offices in eight locations. Probably had to, it was a bit different back then, but I mean, we had lots and lots of offices all over the globe. And again, I, I had that fear in me. I can't do it, but I really wanted it. And I, I recognized that excitement building up about it. You know, and it was like, yeah, you won't have to travel that much and all those kind of things. And of course, you know, within two months, it was like, well, you might have to travel a little bit. <laughs> I was still doing my three day week. And then within, of course, about five months, I was doing a four day week. And within a year, I was I was back working full time. And over the years, the highs were definitely all the things I learned and the travel. It was just amazing. Bermuda is one of our offices um, and that's where our headquarters um, are and I got to go to Bermuda a lot and you and I have talked about Bermuda and uh, it's such a beautiful place with that gorgeous subtropical climate and the Cayman Islands um, and then New York. I will never forget my first time in New York. I felt so alive. I loved it. Um, and then, of course, the UK and Canada. I spent a lot, many, many months and years going over and back to Canada. So really different extremes. You know, the freezing cold with your hat on in Canada in the winter, always when it was so much snow on the ground. And then, yeah, New York, Bermuda and Cayman. So I, I really had amazing experience traveling all around the world. Um, um, and, and that was really it. And then I suppose I got promoted to Chief Human Resources Officer. And it was just after uh, quite a significant acquisition. And I actually loved working on that acquisition. I found it very exciting being part of the due diligence and being involved in all of that. I learned loads. Um, it was so full on. It was so fast paced. And again, I, I felt really energized by it. But then once, once the acquisition was done, I guess the following two years was all very administrative and um, getting our processes aligned headcount, reports after reports, HR analytics, lots of that. And, and I did become quite unhappy then. Um, and that probably was one of my low points. I, I felt probably my values and maybe my passion wasn't aligned. Um, and I got, felt a bit stuck in what I was doing. Um, and again, I was lucky because somebody recognized that in me. We had a chat about it. And they really recognize that all the stuff that I love is the people side and um, is developing people, knowing what makes them tick, the psychology of it all. Um, I love communications, everything. And I love culture and how it's developed. Um, so I, I, I was offered a new role as managing director of people strategy. And that's what I've been doing now since the beginning of 2018. And I really love my job. Um, obviously I have my days like everybody else but in general I feel like you know I'm my values are aligned my passion is aligned with my career so so that's really it that, that's fat. you're very lucky because most people don't have that uh, yes yes and just from listening to your story which obviously you, you have this in, inner inner part of you that really knows what works for you and doesn't and you're not afraid to to communicate that and yeah. where your strengths lie yes, to an organization. So. But, but you know the way yourself, it takes you a long time to realize that. Like, you know, when I was younger, I probably stayed in, well, definitely one role way too long. And I, and I wasn't happy there, even though I had a great career there. I wasn't happy. And I did think this is it. This is, you know, this is the direction I'm in. This is the road I'm on. I have no other choices. 
Um, whereas now if I'm talking on a panel or um, giving advice to anybody, I always just say, you know, you're never stuck. You can recreate your career so many times. Absolutely. You just need to find what you're good at and find what you're passionate about. And I, I love, you know, millennials, they get an awful rap today, but I love their, their drive and their, you know, <laughs> I want to be promoted next year or whatever. Um, but I also think sometimes, you know, and I've said to many people who've worked for me over the years, it, you know, if I promoted you that quickly, I'd be, be doing you a huge disservice. You know, you have to experience it. You have to go through those experiences to learn, to know about yourself, to, to kind of go, okay, well, that was a mistake. But now I know this about myself or that about myself or I should have spoken up more. That's that's one I would have often thought about, you know, over more recent years when I was younger. I wish I'd just said what I was thinking rather than being afraid to. But that's, that's experience. That's maybe being enabled. Yes. And also you were... I mean, obviously, you're a young family, you're traveling, you have a new job. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day sometimes. It's about energy as well. Absolutely, Um, yeah. I'm just curious, because obviously, as you said, you haven't haven't got HR, you didn't HR qualify before going into it. Yeah. You must be a fast learner, or you you must be able to consume a lot of detail and be able to ask maybe that stupid question. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. And anything that you want to bring, maybe a funny story of, because there's a lot of legislation, I mean, in HR, obviously, there's leadership development, there's employee engagement, there's culture stuff. Yeah. Any that, that you had to kind of learn, learn something that I don't really get this, I know what I need to know. How, how did you work your way through it? Well, I guess, well, I certainly wouldn't have said, you know, in school, um, if something didn't interest me, no, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have absorbed, I wouldn't have absorbed it very quickly. I would have had to work very hard on it. But I think because I was so interested in it that I just, yeah, I, I because I had a passion for it, reading up on it was, was no issue for me. I would look it up on the internet. I would speak to people. And again, you know, IBEC were great um, at pointing you in the right direction. Everything else, I mean, they were all kind of rules. And I remember earlier on in my career kind of copying on that, well, you know, just follow the procedure. Follow the procedure and you'll do all right. Um, but because I suppose one of my strengths were the people awareness side, and um, that seemed to come quite naturally to me. So dealing with people and knowing what questions to ask, um, that's how it came naturally to me. And the rest was following a process or a procedure or looking it up or finding out. Um, and I guess that's the other thing. I think having empathy is, is so important in these roles uh, and I suppose I was always a strong believer in whatever you're carrying out and sometimes HR you have to do things that are tough and certainly whatever about being tough on the person carrying it out can be very tough on the, the, the person receiving it um, so do it with kindness or do it with respect or do it with a bit of empathy you know and I kind of that was a bit of an internal motto of mine because you never know the hour of the day and you know, we all see things through our own lens and everything. So I suppose I always felt very strongly about that as well. Um, and my, my teams would always say that to me, that that's something they appreciated, that if I was giving feedback, that I would do it in a compassionate way. Um, but of course, you know, business is business as well. 
And sometimes, especially in HR, you do have to do things that are really tough. It's just part of your job. But I suppose what is up to you is how you deliver it. How you deliver it. And, and there's a spirit of that, as you said, about the empathy. Yes. Uh, and going yeah. there. And yeah. it's funny, you say going on to another question, I just think you're like, if you're a 24-year-old self. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's change the question again. Like yourself, yeah. or what would you give to somebody else? What advice would you give yeah. to yourself or what would you give to somebody else and how they might start off? Because, and the purpose for just, in because in you, you, you haven't really planned your career. Uh, oh, and, gosh, no. And, and, and opportunities have, have presented themselves yeah. and you've grabbed them. Some yeah. may be less attractive, some may be more attractive, some you didn't know. Yeah. So I'm just curious how you would package that to somebody to say, you know what, you have to have a go. Put yeah. your hand up maybe when you're a bit stuck. I think, well, well. first of all, if I, if I was to give myself any advice, my 24-year-old self, I would say, stop worrying so much. You know, I worried about everything. And I was kind of a funny mix because um, I was a worrier. And yet at the same time, I was, I was open to taking a bit of risk, which helps you as well. You know, I always say to people now, hard work is so, so important. But it will only get you so far because there's loads of people out there who, who work hard. And if there's only two promotions in that team, what are you going to do differently so that you get noticed? You know, so you're the one that's picked over the other four people out of six that may be really hard workers. Um, so I suppose, yeah, I was a bit conflicted. I was very compliant in one respect and I worried about stuff like that. On the other hand, I wasn't afraid to take a risk. I would stick up my hand for things and figure it out afterwards, usually in a bit of a panic, but I would nearly always figure it out somehow. Um, and I suppose there's a lot of satisfaction in that as well, a bit of a thrill in it. And then the great feeling when you do it. Um, and of course, it doesn't always work out as, as well, but you, you learn from that too. And of course, that's easy for me to sit here and say that now. But when you have your failures, because everybody everybody does, you feel so awful. But but it passes. And I, I think that's something to always say as well to people, a piece of advice. You know, it will pass whatever bad time or low you're going through. But yeah, to myself, I would have said, stop worrying so much. And um, nobody has it all figured out. And um, speak your mind more often. And I would have said, find your passion and go for it. Whereas, as I said, James, when I got into finance, I thought, that's it now. Here I am. Isn't it great? I'm in this great industry. Um, but I really wasn't that keen on the operational side. Um, but again, yeah, I did. I, I let people know about my passion for, for people and all of that. And so I suppose that coupled with the fact that I had some really good bosses, um, helped an awful lot. To other people, I would say, and I always say this when I'm doing a panel, especially for women, for women you know, one of our diversity and inclusion pillars um, at MEFG is gender. And, you know, it, it can be a tough slog um, trying to move the needle on gender for so many reasons. Um, and, and one of them is, I suppose, women tend to only go for roles when they feel they have 100% of the skill set. Whereas research shows that men you know, would go for it, maybe if they have anything between 40 and 60%. So that's a massive thing. And, and it's very important to know that, you know, grab hold of that opportunity and figure out the details afterwards. If something is giving you a flicker of excitement inside, then it's something you should go for. Um, and you feel like you could do a bit of it, go for it and see what happens. You can learn, you can learn along the way. And um, I would always say, be a leader before you're a leader. 
And I think that has, has never been my motto, but it's certainly something when I reflect over my career that I've definitely done. You know, when I, when I had that job back in my early 20s in Bank of Ireland, when I first came back from London, the, the only reason they kept calling me back is because I would take that kind of role of organizing everybody and yeah, I would take a team leader role and I would put my hand up for things. So all of a sudden, yeah, I remember her, bring her back. And then I, I got referred on. So be a leader before you're a leader, grab hold of every opportunity, keep learning. I, I really think that's so important for somebody who never went to college um, after school. I have the utmost respect for it. And um, I mean, I did go back eventually um, and study and I studied, you know, different things over the years. I did nutrition and um exercise and I became a personal trainer and aerobics teacher but as you probably read I much preferred to study it than to teach it I found again one of the lessons that you learned that I, there was such an interesting course I did it up in Dorset Street every Tuesday night every Thursday night after work I go up there for a couple of hours and every Saturday and some Sundays too go up and literally spend the day up there exercising and learning how to teach people about exercising and I loved it and then I tried to teach it and it was so flat for me. So I quickly learned, okay, there you go now. I wasn't really that interested in teaching it at all. But I loved the learning of it. Um, and then, yeah, and, and then I learned, I studied psychology. And my plan was, it was an NUI course. So I did counselling and psychology year one. And my big plan at the time, I had two children, was to go on and become a counsellor. And, um, and then I was pregnant with my third baby, Kaya. So that kind of knocked that on the head. Um, and then finally, I went on to study uh, ethics and culture, which I really, really enjoyed. And I only did that, that recently in the Institute of Bankers. So a great course there. But yeah, I would say keep learning because it opens so many doors. Um, if you've ever heard of Susan Greenfield, she's a neuroscientist. She's a writer um, and she has such great TED Talks. She's so interesting to listen back to. And she talks about the brain and you know, how the more we learn, the more connections our brain makes, so the more we want to learn. So literally, the more we learn, the more we learn. And I actually remember feeling that when I was studying. I just was like a sponge all of a sudden. I couldn't wait to learn more and more and more. So keep learning and network because networking can be, can be kind of tough. You know, people always say to me, oh, you must love networking because you're bubbly. And actually, I actually don't love it because you've got to go into a room and, it takes a lot of energy and effort, but it's very important. It's, tell me about that, because one of one of the uh, one of the the the, 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 the fellow people who've decided to very kindly give their time to Kingsley Aikens, yeah. who's C CEO of the Ireland Funds and is has his own CEO of the Networking Institute, who's a phenomenal networker. And I'll share with you, he has fifty tips to network and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> but but everything in life is about networking. Yes. Take away the business aspect as a human. Yeah. And particularly now in these times, we're in, we're on lockdown as of yesterday of five five k. Um, it is the time you got to reach out to people, and that's networking yeah. on one level. Yes. So, for a younger person who might be listening, or even not as a younger person, you know, what advice would you give? How do you how do you network? What's yeah. networking to you? And yeah. it's a buzzword that people I couldn't yeah. I could never do that. I yeah. send a text and never respond. Maybe pick up the phone and say hi, or make the ask. I'm just curious your thoughts yeah. around that. Well, I guess. Uh, Pre-COVID networking for me was, so I started making an effort um, when I joined 100 Women in Finance 
um, and um, uh, Anne Keyes there, who's co-chair of that uh, organization in Dublin. And I knew her from the recruitment industry as well. Um, and then over time, she asked me, would I speak at something that I got asked to speak at the Women in Finance conference? And so I could start to see the benefit of networking. Um, you know, people started wanting me to talk at things, be part of a, a round table, um, first thing in the morning and so on. So, so I could see that. Um, and then I joined the 30% club as well. Um, and I suppose just turning up at events. So when, you, when you're tired at night and you want to go home, go even just for half an hour because you're sitting there going, oh, I really just want to go home. I don't want to attend this. I have to drive there. I have to make an effort, walk around the room. But it's like everything that's a bit difficult. Once you leave, you go, that was quite worth it, really well worth it. You get, you get introduced to different people and you just never know. Never know the time or the day that that person comes knocking on your door and asks for something. Um, or asks you to take part in something or become something or whatever it is. And, and I think now then, James, the difference is making sure every now and then that you put it in your calendar, make an effort uh, to reach out and say hi to people. And would you like a virtual coffee? I just had a virtual coffee with somebody yesterday on Zoom. I was so busy. My calls were back to back from eight o'clock in the morning to last night. And I just I thought, oh, my God, I don't have time for this now. Two minutes into the conversation. I was really glad I did. It was so nice to reconnect with the person. It was enjoyable. And we talked about a few things for the future. So, which, which I had totally forgotten about, possibilities, opportunities. But it's just, that's it. You, networking, the benefit of it is you're never far from someone's thoughts. And if something comes up, they might go, hey, yeah, James might be good for that or Veronica might be good for that mm. because you're in their head. And I just, yeah, I think it's, it's super important. But I do think it takes effort. Definitely. Yeah, it's a, for example, we wouldn't know each other bar we networked, in effect. Exactly, that's, yeah. That, that, that's for, for, for the yeah. through, through, through shame. I think it's pay it forward as well. You know, when people introduce you to somebody and they want to be introduced, I would always definitely make an effort and, you know, put people, match people up by email. And do you, like, would you, I'm just curious to the techniques, like some people write people's name, a friend of mine, he's very good. He'll actually write three or four things down if he's met somebody. So when he remembers in the next time, you know, how your kids, you have three kids. That's a know. very good idea. And he's very good around it. And he's just said, because yeah. he's a bad memory. It's not, it's not, yeah. he said, you know, yeah. and he puts maybe a little black book he has or a little kind of di- little, little CRM. I really like that. I'm going to rob that. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't do that. And I would have said my memory was pretty okay. But yeah, there have been times I've been a bit stuck when people remember me and I don't remember them and I feel very rude. So I think I'll wrap that one. Do you look for in people when you're, when, from your graduate entry to your kind of C-suite, what are you yeah. looking for in the human? Um, I think somebody who's really interested in the job, who has, who's committed, who's who's shown that they put a bit of effort into finding out about what we do, what the role is all about. Um, and, you know, interviews years ago, if you remember, it was very much like the candidate would totally have to sell themselves to the company. And now it's very much a two-way street. Um, and of course, people today want to know all about your culture, what you do um, for diversity and inclusion and so on. Um, and I think that's great. That's, that's the way it should be. Um, so, but for us, I actually like that about, about a candidate. They're, they're asking us questions. They want to know, is it a good fit? 
It's not just about the job. Is this place going to be a good fit for me? So I'm interested in somebody who cares about that because we're going to, they're going to be spending a lot of time at the job or, or mixing with the people um, that work there. Uh, of course, somebody who's very conscientious and hardworking. And for me, somebody who's got a bit of energy, a bit of buzz about them. Um, I, I really think it's important to have a bit of fun and work too. Really, that's just so important to me. I have had lots and lots of fun in my career. Um, I have spent many time laughing and you know, I have lots of great memories. Um, so I think that comes back to the fit again. The person, when they're, when they're looking for a job, you need to make sure that you believe you have the right fit, that you've researched the company and that you present yourself. I would, I would always say, don't do an interview on the fly. I know people can be very good at interviews, but really, I just think preparation is key. Always prepare, learn about the company, ask some questions about the interview. Know when to zip the lip, very important too, um, because if you're asked one question and you're going off on a tangent, I think, yeah, you can often bore people when you see that glaze look coming over their eye. So be succinct, but um, know your stuff. Be ready to talk, be ready to ask questions have lots of energy and passion, passion about the role um, and be ready to talk about yourself a bit as well, what you like, so that people get a feel for you as a person. Because, you know, it's all really about connection, isn't it, when you're interviewing people as well. It's really important. For me, I, I think so. As I'm, I'm probably a very intuitive interviewer on one level. Um, I have a sense of the human and, the, and, and that energy coming from somebody and yeah. resonating that with maybe a client and get it. I, I, I seem to have the ability to understand what the client is looking for on that fit. Yes. Now, obviously, there's functionality. There's relevant experience, relevant qualifications. And obviously, that's obviously key. So but key. I suppose we're taking that as a given here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fit yeah. of individual. One of one of again another uh, Declan Ryan, who, who's chairman of, of of Viva Airbus in Colombia and and Peru. He he's coming on uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But he he he's funny. He said to me something. I look at the bottom of the CV first. Yeah. I want to see yeah. the human. Yeah. And I, I know. Yeah. And, and, I and I said, too. That's totally exactly the way I'd be. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I'd forgotten that on one level yeah. because people doing CVs so don't put in, you know, don't over put in your interest. But it's funny now. It's important to let people know a bit about you, so don't take them out either. Yeah, it's it's but it's it's, it's someone saying, can I? Do I want to be with this person maybe yeah. for eight hours a day? Yes, yeah. I know. And then it's so hard as well, you know, in, in the HR world, because obviously you have to do a fair interview. Everybody has to get the same opportunity. You need to give everyone the same questions that afford everybody um, the opportunity to answer the same questions as well. So there's that side of it as well. But from a person to person point of view, yeah, they're the things that you look you look for in, in people. Well, I certainly would anyway. And as, for as long as I've interviewed and I've done it for many, many years, I don't do it in my current role at all. But again, it was something that I would say, oh, gosh, I've got all these interviews today. And then I'd be sitting there in the boardroom. And when somebody truly engaged you, you got energy from it. You felt really good about it. Yeah, it's the human stuff. It's funny. Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, and if you're not, it's there's very many smart and clever people out there who know they're not very good at interviewing. I would just say practice. Sit down with somebody and practice and practice and practice because they'll give you the feedback. And yeah, that's the way to get to get good at it. It's a big thing. Five words to describe your career. Um, energizing, challenging, fun most times, um, educational. 
and can I use the word passionate? Yes, that yes. That's the, that to me would be the first word sometimes. Yes, because, yes. Because it's the first word you use to me really at the start of our conversation that you yes. have passion for doing things. And if, if it resonated with your passion, you were yeah. able to accept. That's probably your creativity. That's the artistic bit maybe coming from your dad. Exactly. About, I'm just thinking exactly. it present itself that way. Exactly. And do you know something, James? Nobody ever called me uh, creative until two years ago when I was in this role. And since then, people would say to me, oh gosh, you know, Veronica, uh, we can learn so much from you. You've got such a great creative streak. And I always go, oh my God, all the years I've been working. You know, I never would have given myself that strength or that label. But there you go. I was just looking at it in a very one-dimensional way. Yeah. yeah, It's the first thing that when I was listening to speak, I said create creativity. As, yeah. you, as you talked about your dad, that was the artistic bit. Yes, yes. Really, yes. It presents slightly, slightly differently. Yeah. And, yeah. and my, my last question, if I may, mm-hmm. and this may, may, may fit into your, your course uh, experiences up in Dorset Street and you being a, <laughs> a, a moderately successful teacher of, of, I'm going to say wellness, if I can use that in, yes. in, 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 yeah. in a sense of that. Workplace stress, mindfulness, moving job. It's very busy for people being on emails, different time zones. I know I, one of my daughters you know, did a 70 hour week last week because they were, they were closed. She's a lawyer closed in a transaction. Yeah. Um, what's your, what's your, what's your thoughts? What's your thoughts around that? Um, well, actually I'm, I'm again, going to use the word passionate, um, about mental health and wellness. And uh, something I've been very aware of all my life and I'd be quite tuned into for, for various reasons. But, um, I think, thank gosh, it's, it's such a big focus now because it always should have been. For people and it's always been taboo and something that you know wouldn't be talked about we still have a long way to go it's actually one of our own james diversity inclusion pillars is mental health and wellness and we had already decided before covid that we were going to have a big focus on it this year so our three pillars are gender lgbt plus and mental health and wellness and we decided 2020 would be the year which have put a big push on it and thank goodness we did because then covid hit um, and we had already planned and rolling out a resiliency program for, for our staff. And it was really, really well received. Um, and yeah, I just, I, we're going to do part two actually next year as well. It's so important. Um, and I think this new way of working has so many wonderful benefits. But absolutely, it can be mind overload, brain overload, and it can be mentally exhausting. And you, you need to have all the knowledge about how to to carry out self-care and like I'm always saying even to my friends because I know some of my friends get up in the morning and an odd time they mightn't even get dressed for the day and that sounds lovely and like nice duvet day or whatever but actually creating the same routine that you have every day presenting yourself for your day getting up having your shower get dressed make yourself feel good doing exercise. I mean, all my life I have dabbled in and out of exercise. And I'd say over the past 10 or 15 years, it's just so important for me. Um, I, I've i always been a gym goer. And then more recently, um, I have high cholesterol and it's hereditary. And my doctor just said, look, Veronica, it's great that you do all these Pilates and reform Pilates and X, Y, and Z, but you need to get your heart rate up at least three times a week. So I did start running. I really love it, but the ac- the extra massive benefit I find is my head, 
And I notice when I don't do it for a few days, I can start getting stressed, anxious, and I can even sometimes not even know what's going on with me, but I just know something doesn't feel as free or whatever it is. And I go, that's it. I haven't been out for a run. And I will make myself, even though I hate it at the time, go out and do that 5K, put on my earphones, listen to a podcast for some brilliant music, and I feel so much better. So I really think exercise is key. And once you get into it, sometimes it's a little bit addictive, which is great because it makes you, the endorphins want, make you want to keep going back and doing more and more. But I think um, employees and for everybody, they need to create a self, a self-awareness around mental health because it's so important to look after yourself as parents, as employees, as whatever. You can't look after anybody else unless you look after your own mental health first. And we're all on this continuum and throughout life, we'll go up and down and we most likely all experience it or know somebody in our family who experiences the highs and lows. Um, But for employers, I think look after your people, give them that sense of being cared for, that they belong and that they're valued. And, you know, they will really, it's, it's, it's so true, they will take care of your business because they will be loyal. They'll be more more likely to go that extra mile um, for you, for your business, and they'll be passionate about what they do. And and, and most importantly, you will retain your good staff. So taking care of people's mental health is is really important for employers. It always was. Now it's more important than ever. And saying to people, take your break. Don't be working long hours. Keeping an eye on it. Keeping an eye out for those employees who won't turn their camera on. I mean, every now and then people go, oh, I don't want to face that camera today. That's fine. But people are doing it all the time. There's lots of little signs to look out for. But I think just minding your staff is very important and each other. Veronica, I think we could could, uh, talk for quite (laughs) a lot longer. I have a sense of this conversation could go on. But I would just like to thank you so much for giving your time today. And uh, really appreciate it. And uh, we will... um, we will, we will talk again. Perfect. Thank okay. you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to The Career Scoop, brought to you by Elevate Career Advice and Elevate Executive Selection. I'm James Fitzsimons, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. Make sure to tune in for next week's episode. Bye.